Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast manhunt for a mass murderer in Maine. As one can imagine, it's your worst nightmare. 18 are dead, 13 others wounded in Lewiston, Maine, some 150 miles north of Boston. The crime scenes span two locations, a bar and a bowling alley four miles away. WGME-TV's Brad Rogers. Bowlers with their backs, you know, turned to the door, facing the bowling alley. They had no clue that this was coming, and uh, this gunman just opened fire, sending them scrambling for cover. Maine's Public Safety Commissioner Mike Shasha. There are multiple scenes in the city to include multiple hospitals, uh, multiple follow-ups, a lot of witnesses we're speaking with, and a lot of leads. Uh, the general public has been very cooperative uh, and very forthcoming with information. At the bowling alley, a youth event was underway last night when the shots rang out around 7 o'clock. The place was just crawling with teenagers, so uh, we suspect and fear that many of the victims there are going to be young teens. Leroy Walker hasn't heard from his son, who worked at the other shooting location, a sports bar in Lewiston. My son is dead, and I know he's dead. I know it as well as I know I'm standing here telling you because he's not here and he's not at any other hospital. Residents of Maine's second largest city say they are shocked such a thing could happen in one of America's safest states. There's fear, there's panic, of course there's worry. My insides are just really sick over this. This doesn't happen here. So, who did this? The suspect is 40-year-old Robert Card, a firearms instructor with military training in the Army Reserve. Card is considered armed and dangerous. If people see him, they should not approach Card or make contact with him in any way. This summer, Card was hospitalized for two weeks with mental health issues. Apparently, he heard voices in his head telling him to shoot up a military base in Maine. Former FBI Special Agent Jonathan Gilliam says the fact that he's still alive means others could die. He now has a will to live. So that type of an individual, from what I've seen, is somebody who's more likely to fight back or continue their killing spree as they try to escape further. A shelter-in-place order is in effect in Lewiston, which is north of Portland, Maine's largest city. Card's car was found seven miles from one of the crime scenes. Maine is a state, by the way, where murder is rare. There were less than 30 there all of last year. Overseas, Israel launched its largest ground incursion into Gaza overnight since Hamas terrorists attacked the Jewish state on October 7th. Jonathan Conricus with the Israeli Defense Forces. We did a uh, tactical raid, which means that the forces went in and then went out during the night in order to prepare the battlefield and to uh, prepare ourselves for coming operations. Meantime, inside of Gaza, the UN is warning that they could run out of fuel soon. Correspondent Hollywood Williams says the misery is only worsening for Palestinians stuck in this war. 5,000 pregnant women in Gaza are expected to give birth in the next month. With hospitals overwhelmed, the UN wants to distribute home birthing kits containing soap, a plastic sheet and scissors for cutting the umbilical cord. But so far, they can't get them in. The Biden administration wants a U.S. missile defense system in the Middle East to protect American troops against Iran-backed 
drone strikes. Two dozen U.S. military personnel were injured last week in such an attack at U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. Newly minted House Speaker Mike Johnson says he's looking forward to getting to work on behalf of the American people. We stand at a very dangerous time. I'm stating the obvious. We all know that. The world is in turmoil. But a strong America is good for the entire world. Florida Congressman Matt Gates says Johnson's election is a victory for the MAGA movement. If you don't think the moving from Kevin McCarthy to MAGA Mike Johnson shows the ascendance of this movement and where the power in the Republican Party truly lies, then you're not paying attention. The 51-year-old Johnson is an evangelical Christian, a former conservative radio talk show host, and the first representative ever from the state of Louisiana to serve as House. Speaker. One third of Detroit's big threes reached a deal with striking auto workers, albeit it's a tentative deal. Ford and the UAW agreeing to a contract that includes a 25% pay hike, better retirement, and job security. Union President Sean Fain. We knew we were getting close, but we also knew the companies needed a major push if we were going to make sure we got every penny possible in this agreement. Auto analyst Chris Van Cleef. This tentative agreement means those workers will be able to start going back to work as Ford brings back online several of its key plants, plants that make huge money makers like the F-150 and the Ford Explorer. Nationwide, over 40,000 UAW employees have been off the job since mid-September. Former President Trump was slapped with a $10,000 fine yesterday by the judge in his civil trial in New York City. Trump was ordered to take the witness stand for about three minutes after Manhattan Judge Arthur Gorin accused him of breaking a gag order with these comments. A very partisan judge with a person who's very partisan sitting alongside him, perhaps even much more partisan than he is. Trump denied he was talking about anyone on the judge's staff. The judge said he found Trump's answers not credible. Correspondent Robert Costa, it's a tale of two weather patterns, deep snow and fall warmth. Meteorologist Chris Warren with the Weather Channel. There could be a foot of snow or more on the ground in parts of North Dakota and parts of the upper Midwest and the Northern Plains. And then while at the same time, temperatures by this weekend in the Mid-Atlantic into the mid-80s. Still to come on the Noon Report, get to let out New York. What's on the ballot a week from Tuesday? And the bills are back in action. We'll have a preview after this. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams, calling for some more balmy air for another day or two, but big changes are coming over the weekend. Forecast details are up in 10. All right, we'll see you then, Kevin. Thank you very much. News where you live next, and we'll begin in Ithaca, New York. Anti-Israeli messages were spray-painted in red paint on sidewalks across campus at Cornell University yesterday. One said, Zionism is racism. Another, Israel is fascist. No arrests have been made yet for the hateful graffiti. Correspondent Scott Pringle. There's been controversy on campus between pro-Israel and pro-Palestine students and faculty. A professor at the Ivy League school just took a leave of absence after saying the Hamas attacks on Israel were exhilarating and energizing. It is unclear whether Cornell will fire that professor for those comments. Environmental activists in New York are urging Governor Hochul to get the lead out of water pipes in the Empire State. Many homeowners, tenants, business owners, they don't know if there's a lead pipe servicing their building and potentially putting their water at risk. Rob Hayes is executive
executive director of New York Environmental Advocate. This is a fantastic time for Governor Hochul to really show national leadership on addressing this issue and make New York State a model in public transparency about lead pipes and ultimately a model to get 100% of these pipes out of the ground. The state legislature recently passed the Lead Pipe Right to Know Act. Democratic State Senator Gustafa Rivera. There is no safe level of lead drinking water in, in drinking water. And we want to make sure that we know where these pipes are so that we, we can uh, replace them and get rid of them. Advocates gathered yesterday at the state capitol as part of Lead Pipe Prevention Week. Pennsylvania's Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, or LIHEAP, begins accepting applications Wednesday, November 1st. The program helps the poor keep warm during the winter through cash grants ranging from 200 to $1,000. Those grants are awarded based on household income, number of dependents, and the type of fuel being used in the home. There's a constitutional amendment on the ballot on Election Day in New York next month. It would allow small cities to borrow what they need to upgrade their schools. Here's Family Life Sarah Harnish. If approved, it would allow cities of 125,000 or fewer people like Ithaca, Niagara Falls, and Batavia to have the borrowing ability of places like New York City. Small city districts will be able to have the same purchasing power. Schools say they need the cash for large purchases like roofs and security. We all support it. We're hoping that uh, the public will too. But opponents say it goes back to the old adage, what you borrow, you must pay back. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Two bills approved in the Pennsylvania State Senate this week could fundamentally alter education in the Commonwealth. Both are designed to improve transparency in public schools by allowing parents a bird's eye view of what's being taught in the classroom. You are limiting children's access to information just smacks of censorship to me. Duffy Batzer is a teacher in the Carlisle School District and is not a fan of the parental rights legislation. This idea that we're indoctrinating because we are trying to teach children critical thinking and an openness to information is just, it's very frustrating. One bill allows parents to shield their kids from sexually explicit rating materials. The other requires teachers post curriculum online for parents to see. What's the harm in that? Unless there's something being taught that we're trying to hide. State Senator Doug Mastriano. I remember growing up you know, during the Cold War and uh, listening to how the you know kids in the Soviet Union were indoctrinated and the parents had no say in education. We are headed, not hyperbolic, we're headed in that direction. The education reforms now move to the Democrat-controlled State House for consideration. New York's Buckle Up, Phone Down challenge is underway. Since the start of the year, there have been almost 25,000 crashes statewide where people were not wearing a seatbelt. More than 300 of those people died. Over 14 accidents this year have been caused by smartphone distractions. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says 32,000 jobs are waiting for the immigrants who've recently flooded to the Empire State. Family Life's Jeremy Miller has more on the holdup. Yeah, that's nearly twice the number of jobs Hochul said would be open earlier this month. And so far, none of them have been filled. Layers of federal bureaucracy have slowed the work permit approval process to a crawl. The state has spent more than $88 million to find out who is eligible for temporary protected status, letting those who entered the U.S. before July 31st get work permits quicker. The city is now housing about 40,000 asylum seekers. 
Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. A judge in Wyoming County, New York, has ordered an adult care facility in Strikersville shut down. The 10 residents there have been evicted. Apparently, that facility called Agape Manor has been operating illegally. It's been in existence for over a decade there in Strikersville. Fewer New Yorkers are getting the new COVID-19 vaccine. You know, it's a different time than it was in the in the midst of COVID. Bradley Arthur is a farmer pharmacist in western New York. I think there was a little bit of fatigue, to be honest with you, from the last wave. You know, people are trying to move beyond COVID. Dr. Thomas Russo is an infectious disease expert in Buffalo. I think people have to realize, though we'd like to be done with COVID, it's still out there. We are likely going to have an increasing number of cases as we head into the holidays and the cooler weather where we spend more time indoors. Just four and a half percent of the upstate population has received the latest COVID vaccine. More more than halfway through the fall semester, Pennsylvania's four state-owned universities are upping the ante on state lawmakers. The heads of Penn State, Pitt, Temple, and Lincoln universities are demanding more than half a billion dollars in increased aid. This is to keep tuition costs at those schools in check. Education activists warn 100,000 tuition discounts are in danger because of a lack of funding. A deer crashed through the window of a middle school in Berwick, PA yesterday made the rounds throughout the building. That must have been quite a sight to see. School resource officer Craig Daly explains what happened. Ran down the hallway into an open classroom at the end of the hallway. The small group that was in it with some students and a teacher. The deer entered that classroom. They evacuated and closed the door and trapped the animal inside. Daly says students were evacuated. The hallways were cordoned off inside that school, all in an effort to get the deer out out of there. Nobody was hurt, not even the deer. The Buffalo Bills back in action this evening at home against Tampa Bay. Kickoff at Highmark Stadium set for 8-15 tonight. Family Life's D. Haley has more. The team announced the return of the popular Color Rush uniform. The blue-blue-white combination will be worn. It was last worn in 2021. Traffic is expected to be heavy around the stadium. Abbott Road in front of the stadium will close in both directions at 3-15. The Hamburg Central School District has decided to dismiss all students 20 minutes early to avoid game traffic. Being even closer to the stadium, students in the Orchard Park School District will have a half day. Dee Haley, Family Life News. All right, Dee, thank you very much. Let's get more on the game next in sports on the Family Life Noon Report. <laughs> Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, you mentioned the Bills game happening tonight in Buffalo. It's a big one for the Bills. After falling to New England on Sunday, Buffalo now just 4-3 and three on the season. They are taking on a Buccaneers team that has lost three of their last four, but Tampa Bay still 3-3, three and three, and they have beaten the Bills three of the last five times they faced one another. Hey, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but Yankee fans are getting a little excited because New York has had some preliminary talks with the San Diego Padres about Juan Soto. San Diego is not actively shopping the young superstar, but they have said he could be moved for the right deal. A lineup with Aaron Judge and Juan Soto back-to-back? Well, we can dream, can't we? 
to basketball. The Knicks opened their regular season against the Celtics at Madison Square Garden last night and lost a close one to the Seas. Jason Tatum led the way for Boston, scoring 34 points and grabbing 11 rebounds. Kristaps Porzingis put a hurt on his former teammates as well. He scored 30. R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quigley both scored 24 for the Knicks. The Brooklyn Nets lost an even closer game to Cleveland, 114 to 113. Donovan Mitchell knocked down a three-point shot with 12 seconds left, and it stood up as the game winner. Brooklyn failing to score on their final possession. Both Mitchell and Max Strews led the Cavs with 27 points. Cam Thomas came off the bench to lead Brooklyn with 36. Other winners on the hardwood, the Hornets, Pacers, Magic, Heat, Raptors, Thunder, Pelicans, Kings, Mavs, and Clippers. Just one game on the ice, Washington came out on top of New Jersey 6-4. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Man, still to come on the Noon Report, manhunt continues for mass murderer in Maine. Cheerleading our church leaders and hooray for exercise. A new study shows just a little bit can go a long way. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In a recent article published by the Washington Institute, professor and lawyer Eric Train offered a robust alternative way of understanding Christian nationalism and its significance within American culture. Depending on who's talking these days, Christian nationalism is either the greatest danger to America or our only hope in resisting the onslaught of the progressive movement. But there is a better way. As Train wrote, the current debate over Christian nationalism is just the most recent chapter of something that's an endemic part of the American story. Quote, can Christians honestly look around and conclude that there's more nationalism melded with their faith than in the past? In 1941, President Franklin Roosevelt distributed a pocket New Testament to soldiers throughout the armed services with the inscription, As Commander-in-Chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the United States. End quote. At the same time, Trink continues, there are real reasons to be concerned about Christian nationalism. Quote, the alarmism about growing Christian nationalism is vastly overblown among some and deliberately manipulated for political reasons among others. But there is a there there. He's right. In fact, in the inaugural offering of our Breakpoint Forums, the Colson Center hosted two of American Christianity's keenest voices about the intersection of faith and the public square. Rusty Reno, chief editor at First Things, and Hunter Baker, the newly appointed provost of North Greenville University, addressed the issue of Christian nationalism. Not only do Reno and Baker hail from different church traditions, they took somewhat differing postures in the forum on what faithful citizens citizenship looks like in this cultural moment. Dr. Reno's seriousness about where a secular globalist perspective has left us leads him to embrace what he called a soft Christian nationalism while objecting to the positions of some of its most outspoken and extreme advocates. As he put it, quote, you have to ask yourself, what would you prefer, a Christian America or a secular America? I'd prefer a Christian America, and in that sense, Christian nationalism, end quote. On the other hand, Dr. Baker argued against using the title Christian nationalism while affirming the large Christian influence on our nation throughout its history. He insisted that the nation and the church are better off without any kind of formal link, while the nation is still helped by the intentional influence of the church. Here's Dr. Baker, quote, it's like George Washington in the Bible. These are bulwarks of the United States in that period. But for most of our history, it's not the case that the United States government is sort of the official partner of the Christian faith, nor is it seeking to officially establish
establish the Christian faith or Christian institutions, end quote. Well, the differences between our speakers was definitely illuminating, especially given their shared priority of Christian faith, grounding in Christian truth as revealed in Holy Scripture. Each one warned against the danger posed by our increasingly intolerant, secular, and progressive gatekeepers, the ones who sit atop the cultural, academic, and political power structures in our society. The whole conversation was helpful and very enlightening. And while combatants on the extreme ends of this debate insist that it's only their way or the highway, Christians have to seek an increasing Christian influence without falling for the dangers that C.S. Lewis warned us against and got in the dock. He said, quote, By the mere act of calling itself the quote-unquote Christian party, it implicitly accuses all Christians who do not join it of apostasy and betrayal. We can do better than this. You can watch the recording of the entire Breakpoint Forum on Christian nationalism on YouTube. Working to see a nation become more Christian doesn't make one a Christian nationalist. No, our goal has to be faithfulness. We can long for and we can work for Christian renewal in our time without, as Chuck Colson often warned against, looking for our salvation to arrive on Air Force One. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Let's take it outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. Our call for this afternoon. We'll have cloud cover and some sunshine, a shower in spots and high temperatures. Upper 60s to mid 70s for tonight and tomorrow. Partly cloudy in central and eastern Pennsylvania. Mostly cloudy elsewhere with a shower or two. Low tonight, 50s to near 60. The high tomorrow back in the lower 70s and mid 70s for some. Saturday, rather cloudy with some showers arriving and turning cooler. Morning high. High temps, 60s and low 70s. Those temperatures then dropping through the course of the day. All right, Kevin, thank you. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Here's what's happening Thursday, the 26th of October. A manhunt underway in Maine for the gunman who opened fire last night at two locations, a bowling alley and a bar that was about four miles away. We have an active shooter. We have multiple injuries. Bystanders, young and old, fled for their lives after a gunman opened fire at a bowling alley in Lewiston. He just came in and there was a loud pop. This witness says he was inside the bowling alley when shots rang out. I just booked it down the lane and I slid into where the pins are and climbed up in the machine and was on top of the machine until the cops got there. Second active shooter is Police said they responded to a second location at a bar and restaurant less than four miles away. I have CD on scene, but the suspect is still at large. Police are currently searching for a Robert R. Card. Card is considered armed and dangerous. He recently reported mental health issues and was committed to a facility for two weeks over the summer. Correspondent Elaine Keanu in Lewiston, Maine today. 18 are dead, 13 hurt. Maine State Representative Mike Sobolski. Here in the state of Maine, we take special pride in being Mainers. If you're born and raised here, it's really special, and this has cut everyone right to the core. The 40-year-old suspect was a firearms instructor in the Army Reserves. Again, 18 dead, 13 wounded from last night's shootings at a bowling alley and a bar in the state of Maine. The Israeli military launched its largest incursion into Gaza overnight since the Hamas attack on October 7th. Reporter Trey Yinks. The Israelis using D-9 bulldozers, tanks, and infantry troops from the Givati Brigade to enter Gaza. Now, the Israeli military says they destroyed a number of anti-tank guided missile cells. They also destroyed a number of Hamas and Islamic Jihad positions along the border, all in preparation for that expected ground operation. The U.N. says aid deliveries inside Gaza could be hampered by fuel shortages. Deborah Pata with CBS News has the latest from the Hamas-controlled territory. Dr. Mohammed Kandil at Gaza's Nasser Hospital told CBS News that sometimes he doesn't even have water to wash his hands. Infection, another killer. They will know that they are going to 
die because the hospital have nothing to offer to them. He faces gut-wrenching decisions on who lives or dies. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says there are 360,000 reservists at the ready for the ground war. The U.S. House of Representatives is back in business for the first time in three weeks with a new speaker. Finally, Republicans have settled on Louisiana conservative Mike Johnson. For Speaker Johnson, the challenges start immediately, including finding a way to fund the government before a November 17th deadline and considering President Biden's foreign aid package to Israel and Ukraine. Nicole Killian on Capitol Hill. The 51-year-old Johnson is an evangelical Christian and former conservative radio talk show host. Mike Johnson is someone who can unify the conference. He is unfailingly kind, he's smart, he's principled, and he's somebody that I think will be able to bring both sides of the conference together to govern. And that is something that we need to do. These past three weeks have obviously been wasted time, and there is a lot of work that we need to get back to on behalf of the American people. That is New York Congressman Mike Lawler. A new study shows just 22 minutes of exercise a day. 22 minutes may counteract the harms of sitting on the job for eight hours a day. British researchers stuck movement detection devices on 12,000 people and tracked them for two years. What they found was incredible. They saw a huge difference in the health of those people, even with a sedentary job, if they got just 22 minutes of exercise a day. This is the Noon Report, a Thursday edition on Family Life. Today on Faith Under Fire, when pastors feel under fire, how does that affect their congregations and their ministries? During October, we've had several opportunities to talk about Clergy Appreciation Month, and we'll have some specific techniques from Sandy Hasenauer, a regional pastor for the American Baptist Churches in the Great Lakes region. But we begin with Sandy Hasenauer talking about the stresses that are pulling the clergy down. We are in a rather unprecedented time, and we've heard that word a lot in the last couple of years, unprecedented. But there are a lot of clergy leaving the ministry. Now, a certain amount of that is simple natural attrition with the baby boomer generation now hitting their retirement years. So some of that would normally happen. We don't have as many younger folk coming into the ministry. So there's already sort of a decreased number of clergy who are available for serving churches. But in addition to that, somewhere between 48 and 52 percent of clergy had seriously considered leaving the ministry within the last year. And so there's been a lot of looking at why that is. And a lot of it just has to do with what's going on in our culture in general. There's a lot more divisiveness. I was reading an article just this morning about the change in forgiveness that we don't seem to be as good as a culture in forgiving. And so these things that are happening in the culture in a macrocosm come into our congregations in a microcosm. And so our pastors are working with congregations who are in many cases divided, in many cases allowing political difference of beliefs and other things to impact their family their community in that church. And the pastor bears the brunt of this because they are 
bearing those difficulties on their own shoulders for their own ideas, but then also carrying the burdens of those in their congregation as well. So it's almost a double burden. And unfortunately, I have often heard of situations in which congregation members allow their political stances and such to impact how they're treating their pastor as well. If that person disagrees with them or says something they don't agree with, they they really react in much more extreme ways than what we used to see 10, 15 years ago. So again, what we're seeing out there is happening in here as well. And so I do think pastors right now really need a little extra love and support as they are trying to give members of their congregation a little extra love and support. Whether it's with your congregations or with your colleagues that do regional ministry, what are some good techniques or some nice methods of showing that appreciation that would really make a difference for these clergy? I do want to lift up a few things that we may discount as not being all that exciting. I think the beauty of a handwritten note or card goes far. Uh, We are a world of email and text messages, and I have to say, I'm sitting here as we're talking, looking at a card I actually got for Clergy Appreciation Month, and I got a card from a group of people at one of our congregations that I had worked with, and they each hand-signed the card and sent it to me, and it feels so much more personal, and it means they took more time I also want to highlight things like being there in person, simply to support their pastor by their physical presence in that pew. Now we're living in a Zoom world, and people are Zooming into worship more, and I've heard pastors talk about it's difficult to have the same energy around worship when people are not physically present. And so I would put a call out not only during Pastor Appreciation Month, but but year-round to consider you may not feel like you need to be in church and worship, but maybe other people would like to have you there to be present and part of that community. And also year-round, just basic things like pastoral compensation, family leave acts, making sure you're taking care of your pastor in very concrete ways also shows them appreciation. Sandy Hasenauer is Executive Minister of the ABC Churches in the Rochester region. I'm Greg Gillespie. This is Family Life News. I cheer leading our church leaders. They desperately need it. Thank you, Greg. The name of the program, Faith Under Fire, comes your way Thursdays during the Noon Report or online anytime at familylife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Our region will continue to be bathed in balmy air for another day or so, but we do anticipate changes for the weekend. The arrival of a cold front will drop our temperatures this weekend. Tee-ups are very chilly air next week. Our call for this afternoon, though, is balmy. We'll have cloud cover and some sunshine, a shower in spots, and high temperatures, upper 60s to mid-70s. For tonight and tomorrow, partly cloudy in central and eastern Pennsylvania, mostly cloudy elsewhere with a shower or two. Low tonight, 50s to near 60, the high tomorrow back in the lower 70s and mid-70s for some. Saturday, rather cloudy with some showers arriving and turning cooler. Morning high temps, 60s and low 70s. Those temperatures then dropping through the course of the day. All right, excellent work. Thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon, sometimes it's just not your day. Take, for instance, this guy. A man in Manhattan got stuck.
stuck in a vault for hours this week. Family Life's Brian Query. A customer accessing his safety deposit box at a New York business ended up locked in a vault for more than 10 hours Tuesday night. The New York Fire Department said the man was in the vault in the basement of World Diamond Tower when employees who were unaware of his presence closed the door. Firefighters were called to the scene and were able to communicate with the man, but quickly determined the vault was on a timer lock and couldn't be opened by employees. Since the man was not in danger of running out of oxygen, they did what they thought was best. Nothing. And they waited until the time lock opened at 6.15 a.m. Wednesday, when the man was found safe. Brian Query, Finley Life News. Imagine the story he gets to tell now. Thank you, Brian. And that's our world, folks, the world we live in. Thursday, October 26th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.